Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of the AltMed podcast. Really appreciate all your love and support to date. Um, we're seeing the view counts go up on our videos and we absolutely love that. So tell your friends, tell your family. We hope you guys are getting a lot out of it. Um, if you are enjoying it and you maybe only listen to it for the first time or, or whatever, just please hit subscribe on whatever channel you're getting this feed in. Um, really uh, building a community here. So whether that's YouTube, Spotify, whatever, please hit subscribe and give us some love. Well, with my co-host as always, Mitch Kurtz, uh, today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Joel Wren. He is a GP based in Adelaide who is well and truly making a name for himself as a specialist in cannabis medicine in Australia. So Dr. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's it's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's That's great to have you. It really is. Um, there's so much that I want to dive in and tackle today, but maybe before we do, can you maybe talk us through your background and how you found yourself as a cannabis doctor? Yeah, it's um, it's a varied and interesting story. Um, I I studied medicine um, in Queensland, where where I grew up. Um, I, I met my wife in medical school and in order to actually um, get to the same hospital, we uh, went a little bit more rural uh, after we graduated. So went up to Mackay for a couple of years. Um, after that, um, she got her foot in the door, funnily enough, uh, down here in, in Adelaide in South Australia. So we, we up sticks and moved. Um, I have been in the um, community um, general practice medicine for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, late one night, I was just actually having a look at the classified ads and I, I saw an ad for an up and coming um, cannabis clinic. And um, I mean, I've worked in hospital medicine, I've worked in general practice, and I'm, I'm acutely aware of um, how, um, how much cannabis is being used by and, and consumed by um, the community. So I'm, um, I knew that some people used it recreationally a lot were using it medicinally and I thought okay maybe maybe this would be um, an interesting area of medicine to uh, to get involved with and I started part-time and it it just absolutely blew me away I, I've I spent you know months and months trying to convince people to to take medication for their blood pressure and they still wouldn't whereas something like cannabis it, they they just couldn't get enough it i had never seen that level of um, enthusiasm or engagement with something like cannabis medicine. Um, and I, I was hooked ever since. Yeah, right. That's it, it, We do hear that a lot. We hear that people, uh, I mean, when you think about, um, especially when you, in the context of people who try to negate the effects of cannabis or say that it's, you know, a bit of hippie kind of magic, if you will, um, like some of the, the, the pain specialists in particular. And then you look at the price and the difficulty of access. And despite all that, the overwhelming uh, demand for cannabis products, it doesn't seem to match up if, if you really think it, it, or it doesn't work, I, I think, in the community. It doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not congruent with, with the amount of demand and how much people are willing to pay through the nose and, you know, go you know sometimes months trying to figure out how to access the product yeah absolutely it's um it, it's certainly not the perfect thing for everyone and and that's a really important um distinction to make but it's um 
it's something that has brought so many people back to the um, conventional healthcare model and, and modern medicine um, that essentially has, has failed a lot of people in the past. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, out of curiosity, and, and I think this is always a really good place to start when we have GPs on the show, but um, the top three questions or like the, the, the main thing that people ask is as soon as they walk in your door, you meet them for the first time, what are the, like the burgeoning, the, the three most kind of questions that everybody uh, asks when they come in as a patient? Uh, about medicinal cannabis or just as a GP patient? Well, maybe we'll gear it more to the, the medicinal cannabis side on this particular one. And that's, that's probably one of the, um, one of the really uh, titillating points of, of meeting people for the first time. I, um, with, without trying to actively advertise myself, a lot of people through word of mouth alone are now becoming aware that, that I do prescribe. And so seeing a patient for the first time, um, they, they'll sort of, They'll dance around it, and they'll, they'll they, sort they, of feel they'll. Adelaide's biggest dealer, all of a sudden, in that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's really going on, isn't it? <laughs> Come see me at no, no, no. Um, but it, it is one of those points of um, they they've brought it up with their usual GP, or, or they've um, they've mentioned it in passing, and they've sort of been shut down, and so they've come in and said, "Oh, look, um, I've heard that." Uh, you know, you're really interested in something or oh, I'm looking for something more natural. And, um, and so I kind of just address the elephant and say, oh, would you like to talk about cannabis? And oh, there's almost this, this weight of relief of, yes, we can talk about it. Um, I, I think some of the, the questions, um, firstly, are, um, it, it doesn't have that, that stuff that, that gets you high, does it? And that's obviously a, a whole other um, discussion there. Uh, there, there are some concerns about price, uh, but it's, it's really um, a, an interesting sort of double-edged sword where a lot of people are making their own oils saying, oh, um, I, I've got this oil, is that okay? Um, and so I think that there, that's something else where uh, there's so much confusion and um, especially with online markets, it, it's uh, it's really tough for for patients, um, young and older alike. Is, is it yeah. a question about the like the patients that are maybe taking black market products? Do you ever find that they might bring that into the clinic and say, "Hey, this is what I'm actually taking," um, you know, but I want to have something that's legally prescribed. Um, you know, can you give me an equivalent product? Have you had that? experience much or is it more yeah okay <laughs> i i have had a, a few patients come in and um i i think that they've, they've been sheepishly pulling out a bit of a tin and and i think oh hang on a minute what's going on here <laughs> uh, but um it's um I, I think that that's actually one of the things that i i was really quite interested in initially knowing that people take it but they don't actually have access to um, home testing kits um, and I know that there are a couple of um, online communities trying to expand that because it's, it's one thing to, uh, to be taking it, but it's another to actually know what you're taking as well. And, and you want to make sure that, I mean, not even from, a, a, um, uh, from an active pharmaceutical ingredient um, perspective, even just from a toxicity perspective, because that's what a lot of people forget as well about um, hemp and cannabis and the actual plant itself it is an absolute sponge so it it sucks up so much 
uh, or so many nutrients, but also so many toxic compounds as well, yeah. that if they're using it, um, they can actually be ingesting all sorts of mess. Yeah. And that's why we, you know, even for the large majority of products, which are deemed by the TGA to be, you know, quote unquote, unapproved therapeutic goods, we still have TGO 93 and we have that Australian standard as a sort of baseline for quality, um, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why when I talk to people that, that are using black market, it's, you know, look, it might work, but we just, we just don't necessarily know what's in it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, on the, um, the clinical side, what, what is, when people do come to see, what are some of the more common uh, indications or medical conditions that people are, are presenting to you with? And can you share maybe some of your clinical experience with medicinal cannabis? Yeah, sure. So I've, I've um, seen lots and lots of people for lots of different reasons. Um, probably the, the uh, main ones that come to mind are absolutely chronic pain. And uh, even within that, that's you know, so varied because you've got chronic unexplained pain and fibromyalgia, which um, again brings a lot of stigma of its own that, that people have struggled with. Uh, but certainly compared to your inflammatory conditions, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, Crohn's disease as well. Um, and it, even something like endometriosis is exceptionally common. Um, and a lot of women get absolutely vilified because it's, it's not a visible uh, condition. It, it's not something that we can really easily do a blood test for and, and confirm. So um, it's, even with something like that, it's, it's diagnosed late. Um, the, the treatments do have side effects and especially contraception as well. Uh, so a, a lot of young women struggle with something like that. That's, that's an yeah. interesting one. Is it, and lots of pain, I imagine, in the, sort of the early stages of, of that particular condition but is, is to your point is, is you're saying that actually doing the diagnostic activity to determine that particular condition is is often fraught with um with you know some issues is that yeah uh, absolutely so it's uh something like endometriosis or, or just endo for short it's uh it, it can affect i think latest figures up to about one in ten women and that's a lot yeah and it's it's a, a big journey to actually get the diagnosis probably one of the reasons for that is uh to be a hundred percent certain what we call the gold standard of diagnosis uh, it's a surgery and actually a diagnostic laparoscopy uh, going inside, actually having an internal look. So obviously that's not the cheapest test to, to confirm something. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's within these women of um, starting their periods, exploring contraception, uh, struggling with lots of side effects. And, you know, 10, 15 years later, they suddenly realize, oh, hang on a minute. It's not normal to um lie in bed one every four weeks just curled up with a hot water pack um against your belly I, i've had patients that um it's it affects how their their um, subcutaneous fat looks it actually uh they get almost um scarring from holding on to, to hot water bottles for that long just because they're in so much pain yeah wow yeah, we, I, I know there's there's women in my life that definitely find that, that medicinal cannabis particularly full or broad spectrum products um, play a major role in the mitigation of, of 
cramps and menstrual cycle or just general female reproductive health uh, episodes. So uh, I've seen that first, well, secondhand, I guess. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's a, and also another thing I've been reading about of late is quite all the rage in America is the, uh, the, the experience of sex as a female. So there's obviously something going on. I, I, I believe there's CB receptors on the endometrium and on the ovaries. Is, is that correct? Certainly internally, yeah. And it, it's um, there, there is evidence that it, um, a lot of women do actually use it to enhance their experience as well. And um, it, even to come back to endo, that, that is one of the um, cardinal symptoms in, in having painful sex because it, it it's just so pervasive so something like cannabis it it's um uh, it's it can be a, a wonderful product because not only do they uh or can women use uh, full spectrum high cbd products um throughout their regular cycle um, and keeping their um, inflammation down or, or suppressed um, during their natural uh, menstruation their actual period they can absolutely switch over to a little bit more THC, have that uh, vaporized product on hand for the, the, that uh, breakthrough pain. And, and as their cycle changes, so too um, do, do the cannabis products that they use, which is, uh, it can be really, really life-changing. Yeah, that, that's a really, um, that brings me, to, I guess, to a broader point, just from your experience as a, as a doctor, um, given that, you know, we're dealing with these products that we're still seeing so much clinical research being done, but we have all this anecdotal evidence. Um, how do you go as a doctor prescribing, you know, as you said, you have adjusting therapies depending on what stage of the cycle for women. Can you, do you have many patients who are, you might prescribe both a sort of a high CBD and then maybe a, a separate product? And, and are there any um, difficulties you face in prescribing multiple cannabis products? I'm just, just interested. Yeah, for sure. So um, from a regulatory point of view, it, to be honest, it's a huge pain in the ass. And uh, I understand the, that government stance of um, patient safety for sure. Uh, at the end of the day, that's that's what everyone wants, but um, it's it's a difficult thing to to try and explain that nuance of uh, we're aiming for you know approvals for three separate products, uh, one containing THC as an oil, one that's high CBD, and then having maybe a third as a flower, whatever. But trying to say you know they're not all taking everything all at once. It's it is um, being implemented in a, in a um, proper management plan. Uh, but in, in saying that, my, my approach, um, it, to be honest, I, I always remind doctors, patients, whatever, it's, it's not absolutely magically new. It should be replacing what we're already doing anyway. So with a typical um, pain management plan, it's not uncommon to have your baseline um, I mean, for, for endo in particular, having a baseline um, contraceptive, but then also having your breakthrough, and this is the, the difficulties with opioids, so your, your panadine forts or um, your endones and, and you know, strong opioids that, uh, yeah, they're only used for um, uh, a week, a month or, or whatever it is. One of the things that can be quite difficult 
um, that certainly gynecologists can attest to is it's, it's trying to actually um, anticipate pain because we know that a period may be coming so that we know that um, a, an extra level of pain may be um, experienced. So it's, it's just trying to catch it early rather mm. than trying to, to play catch up with it. And curiously, you know, we hear a lot about opioid side effects. What, what's your experience um, with patients and side effects to medicinal cannabis or females with endometriosis that, that might, um, as opposed to males with endometriosis, uh, that might um, actually experience side effects? Do you, do, you, do you find that there are few, uh, not many, or, or quite a few, or I'm not sure? Yeah, so um, there's, there's boatloads of, of side effects from the opioids and, and that's never nice. And um, I mean, it, it wrecks people's bowels, which uh, are fickle at the best of times for, for endo. Um, with cannabis, it's the, the most common side effect that I've seen from cannabis is, is probably just a bit of fatigue and, and they just slow down a bit. Um, but generally speaking on the whole, it, the, the most common response that I've gotten from, from um, women using cannabis for their endo is they feel like they have their life back. It, it just, they, they are so much more active than they've ever been previously. Well, that, that yeah. you were painting before with the hot water bottle. And, and I mean, that's just, that is a terrible thought that anyone should be just. Yeah, it's horrendous. That, that level of suffering is ridiculous, but just back on pain. Um, and I'm going to, you know, sort of pick your brain a little bit about the, um, the work that you're doing as uh, vice president of the society of cannabis medicine. I hope I got that name right, but um, clinicians, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I just want to say there's been obviously reports in the media from um, different sectors within the medical community. And um, it was, I think an article, which is still being talked about, which featured the, I think someone quite senior at the Australian, New Zealand college of anesthetists, um, quite an experienced pain um, medical practitioner and he sort of offered the view that he's not recommending cannabis medicine to um, to doctors uh, to treat pain because there's just not enough evidence um, and I know that um, yeah that opinion seems to be uh, you know dividing the medical community um, I think I've got a, a sense of where you might sit with that one but have you got any thoughts on that without sort of inviting you to um, into too much controversy or anything yeah and look I'm, I'm not gonna uh, wave a flag and, and say oh these guys are, are terrible and, and they don't know what they're talking about look anesthetists are absolutely specialists in, in what they do and and um, they do have their own skills. I absolutely, um, if I need their help, they're the first to, to be called on and, and um, they're great. It's, it's just frustrating that the way in which they um, send these messages, it really, it, it creates its own controversy because it further stigmatizes patients and they're less likely to, to um, engage with the conventional model. Um, it deters uh, other clinicians to learning about it. And that's not prescribing, that's learning about it in the first place. It's, um, it's looking to the, the specialty college and hearing them say, ah, oh, don't bother. And then they sort of shrug and think, well, why would I bother learning about it if it's not useful at all? 
and th- there's there's no nuance there's no subtle mm. discourse about well look we're we're not the hippies pretending it's going to cure everything it's it's recognizing it as a tool like anything else that we use and the the message that i've sent is the gold standard for for treatment is um, an mdt a multidisciplinary team and again nobody's doubting that but in the real world with um, people in the community and accessing these mdts and these pain clinics and getting routine reviews it is really bloody hard yeah and, and it's, I, I couldn't agree more. I think as well, just that the point of the, if, if you've got, you know, a heavy duty opioids um, that are being used and that, that level of dependency that they create um, through opioid addiction, and you talked earlier about the damage that these drugs can do with prolonged use to, to the bowels and, and, and other systems in the body. Uh, I just don't know why we're not at least open to considering <laughs> cannabis medicine given it's not it doesn't come with all of those things i i don't know anyone who has used cbd and thc and developed a um you know a genuine harmful addiction that is ruining their digestive system so i would like to think that there's at least enough doctors out there that can sort of say okay the opioids might be registered medicines in australia and then have that that tick but we need to consider all of the, you know, holistically, what is the person's health outcome if they use that over a really prolonged period of time? Um, so I, I guess in that vein, I'm very glad to see the Society of, of Cannabis Clinicians popping up and, and actually lending a different view. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's. I guess it just speaks to a broader issue. And, and I mean, working as a GP, it, it is uh, one of my sort of bugbears where the specialist will have their opinion, which 100% they're entitled to, but to be able to translate that to the patient and to um, continue their care, uh, the, the specialists and certainly anaesthetists are now um, turning away from opioids because they're recognizing, okay, yeah, that it does have serious harms that's great. And they see the patient every six, 12 months and say, no, we should be aiming for this. It doesn't mean that the, the patient is, uh, isn't still seeing me, you know, every other week of I'm still in tremendous amounts of pain. What can I do? What can I try? And without having an option like cannabis to, to work in to everything else, to their exercise plan, to, to their psychologists and their psychotherapy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, I was thinking back to late last year, I got some um, shoulder surgery done um, due to uh, some misadventure on my part on the footy field. Um, I think I got two touches across three games of footy. Um, so def- one of those touches was on your shoulder, actually. <laughs> Definitely not a uh, best on ground performance, but uh, yeah, I went in for some shoulder surgery and just before sort of getting to the operating theater, I have a quick chat to the anesthetist and he said, I'm going to prescribe you some endone for, for after the surgery. It's, you know, very low dose, um, just five milligram. And it's really for that breakthrough pain um, that you're going to experience perhaps in the aftermath. But given it's keyhole surgery, I think you'll be fine. Um, but really important that you don't take it for longer than about 10 to 14 days, because that's when your body actually begins to develop 
a dependency to it. And I was really, not that I had sort of intended to take it for any longer than that, but I'm glad I had that conversation with him because what I found was when the medicine actually was given to me in the hospital post-surgery, I read through the um, the consumer medical information, the CMI sheet that comes with it, um, basically because I was bored, I had nothing better to do in hospital. And I was looking at it and it didn't say anything on there about, you know, you, you should try to stop using this after 10 days. And to me, I'm thinking that's really dangerous. If, if, if I've got an, an anaesthetist telling me you could become addicted to this medication if you use it for that, but the medication stays completely silent about these things. Um, and it's an approved medicine in Australia. Um, anyway, definitely um, pointing my finger at you, Maine Pharmaceuticals. Um, I was very disappointed in that, but a um, little bit of a side yeah. note. Yeah, and, sorry. Well, again, it, it speaks to that subtlety. It's, it's something where uh, we know that it's good for acute pain, but um, over time building tolerance, it, it can actually make people more susceptible and, and uh, more sensitive so that um, any level of, of irritation causes this, this augmented worsening pain reflex. And it just, it, you know, the one positive is that the TGA um, and, and the PBS rather are actually changing some of the indications. And so they are trying to, um, to reduce that indication of, oh yeah, opioids for chronic pain. Well, no, they're, they're changing it. Um, they're, they're not providing an alternative, but, but they are at least uh, slowly, slowly uh, addressing the issue. I think my, my biggest gripe with the uh, said anesthetist coming out with that statement was not about it was the way it was said it was not um you know the evidence suggests that cannabis medicinal cannabis doesn't work it's just that there is no evidence so it, that you know really speaks to the fact that mainly the the, the studies haven't been done because if, if the studies had been done and it showed a negative correlation then that's that's a different story obviously yeah so, yeah. And that's that um, to, to speak about the actual inception of the Australian chapter of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians are, are typically, well, it was born out of the, the US, but um, I, it was founded on the back of um, Lucy Haslam and, and um, Gail Wiseman, um, who came to me about uh, my statement that I made to the uh, Commission of Narcotic Drugs and, and the, the WHO. Uh, actually rescheduling CBD and through that lens having a look at um, the history of cannabis within the 20th century it is night and day how or, or at least black and white how uh, politicized and how far removed it was from the actual science and um, academics jumping up and down saying evidence 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 I mean number one there's a huge issue about reproducibility in the scientific world in the first place. And, and the, the dictum of publish or perish is making evidence-based medicine a, a bit of a farce anyway. I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, but the, the bigger issue, <laughs> but, but the bigger issue is, is how, how can you say that there's no evidence for something that that's, um, has been under lock and key for decades? And, you know, it, even with... Um, with other more natural alternatives and, and um, psilocybin and things like that, you know, the, the, the paperwork involved to actually get pharmaceutical grade um, products to then be able to study 
it, it's absolutely like it's it's insane it's absolutely insane so yeah you're right Mitch just this flippant ah oh, there's no evidence yeah well well yeah and that that actually is um I think it was Rick Doblin or the yeah the guy who's sort of been behind um the maps studies uh, you know across a lot of countries looking into um you know the therapeutic effects of psilocybin MDMA these types of um uh, substances which have been caught up in this political firestorm but they talk about i think he described how in the, the sort of the early part of the 60s psychedelic medicine was actually a really booming research field so there was a lot of labs around america that were actually examining different substances and all of a sudden just overnight um, you know the the laws change these become outlawed substances and all of that research just sits dormant for what 50 years and then it's that was part of the the patient cohort of woodstock that actually uh, might have contributed <laughs> part of that. i'm not sure yeah and, and and they're just sort of like they're picking it up now and saying all right well let's just pick up where they left off you know 50 years ago but um but sorry interesting it brings, yeah you it go. brings me to, to, to a question i actually have for joel like when you talk about the difficulty of actually finding, uh, you know, the right studies or, or the education piece as a doctor wanting to, I mean, I, I guess it's coming a bit more to the foray at the moment, but how difficult as a GP is it to get into cannabis? So we have quite a few um, few members of the professional society that, that tune in from time to time. And I'm just interested in addressing, you know, somebody maybe sitting on the edge and haven't really done too much cannabis scripts or they've, they've heard about it. They don't really know, but you know, some people ask them, but then they refer them on to a other clinic or a specialist, you know, if, if they want to take the plunge, how, how difficult is that to uh, actually get involved? It's not at all difficult to start. Um, it's, I'm not going to lie. It can get very confusing. And that part of the reason for that is the being unregulated. Uh, but I think that um, that's exactly what this, the Society of Cannabis Clinicians is for, for um, giving resources, for giving um, guidance into what's reasonable and what's not. Um, it, from a safety perspective, cannabis is incredibly uh, better than a lot of the other medications that we use. So even if it's just one or two patients um, even if it's um, discussing things with your local health department or um, uh, understanding the steps involved, there, there, is, um, there are so many resources available. We'll be coming out with our own educational course soon. Um, it's, it's absolutely there if you look for it. Um, if not, by all means, I'm happy to help them out and, and certainly the society is as well. What a guy. <laughs> no, and and um, oh, sorry, you go, Mitch. No, I'm going to take it on a whole different tangent. So you better get that question. Yeah, oh, it was. I, I'm going to sneak it in. It was just about the society's work. So you are rolling out, I think, training materials and programs for um, for doctors that are interested in getting on board. Um, How is all that going? And you know, are you doing that virtually? I, I'm, I know a lot of GPs who have expressed an interest um, in starting to look into that space. So if there are any listening, maybe if you can just quickly tell them about what you're doing. 
Yeah, certainly. So there's um, the United in Compassion uh, Symposium um, on the Sunshine Coast this August. Um, there will be a, a general admission and, and stalls and um, lots of um, specialists and international speakers, doctors, um, both again, international and local. Um, Have you invited so the, um, that senior guy from at the ANZCA who made the comments about recommending that his doctors don't prescribe cannabis? Did he get a compliment? <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. That'd be a, an interesting, yeah, we'll, we'll be an eye opener. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can front row. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, uh, I'm not sure that the organizers would be quite keen given, given their previous thoughts on it. Uh, but there, there is actually also um, a um, healthcare professional um, training course on, on the, I think it's on the Sunday. Um, and it is pretty much, it, you can walk in with no knowledge at all and, and um, hopefully come out the other side with um, a better understanding, not, not an expert level by any means. Um, the online course that we're looking at at the moment, we're just trying to run that through uh, the RACGP accreditation, because um, if we are offering things like that, we want to make sure that not only is it good quality, but uh, yeah, we were always getting the um, ever needed CPD points for it. Great. Yeah, fantastic. All right, my turn for taking on to tangent again. Um, I know there's one other area of interest that, uh, that you have, and I really would like to just briefly talk about it. Um, sleep. Yes, I tend to put people to it and it's great. Uh, uh, what about as a doctor? <laughs> well, it, it depends. Uh, ask my wife. No, 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 no. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, an interesting point that you bring up. So um, I've obviously seen lots of people with lots of um, different presentations and syndromes and reasons for their issue. But uh, I think the by by far and away the single biggest um, improvement that i have seen regardless of pathology has been in patient sleep so mm. whether or not that's being so anxious that they're anxious uh their their you know thoughts are racing through their mind um the second that their head hits the pillow uh, i've seen patients that have insomnia and get anxious about their insomnia so that they're anxious to go to bed that night. And yeah. it's this terrible, terrible um, cycle. It just worsens compared to people with just awful, awful back pain where they can never get comfortable. They're tossing, turning, they're cursing, they're, you know, all sorts of things. Mm. Uh, uh, almost across the board, some form of cannabis ha has actually improved it. And it, it may not actually be removing their primary pathology, their main issue uh, in the first place, but uh, absolutely it, it, uh, it steals them a bit. It gives them a, a better reserve where, yeah, they're a little bit more anxious or, you know, they're, they're a little bit anxious and they're stressed, but they're a bit better rested so that they can deal with it in, in a, a more productive way. They're, they know that they still have their pain but they're a little bit happier, again, a bit more refreshed to then be able to, to deal with it. So it's, um, yeah, I think that that's one of the, the hugest improvements that, that I've seen uh, from a lot of my patients. And I, I, when you're talking about um, medicinal cannabis working for sleep, 
are you saying it's is it more of a CBD, more of a THC? Are there in your experience what's the kind of ratio or, or which direction do you take it? Yeah, I'd say CBD long term, uh, but at the same time with sleep initiation, especially mm. uh, THC, and that's starting to move into. Um, I mean, medicinal cannabis isn't just oil as well. And that's something that a lot of patients or doctors and lots of people forget where having a, a safe, decent um, uh, device to, to vaporize it. Absolutely. They you know, are able to get to sleep within 20 minutes, whereas a couple of weeks ago, it took them you know, three, four hours. Who, who knew yeah. that uh, Mitch, you and I were ahead of our time. We were um, vaping THC quite some years ago um and uh, say we'll say that's in overseas because that's yeah yeah oh, absolutely like, never in australia never never um through pioneers <laughs> not about pioneers but um we, we, we're good at sleeping i can tell you that much um pioneers um but uh oh, i have i have heard though um the thc can actually interfere a little bit with rem sleep is that um is that something that you come across or yeah, look, it's 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 on my radar, and it's it's certainly a um, it's something that I'm careful with. In and that's why, like everything, it's important to have your regular clinical reviews and making sure that we're not um, not messing with that architecture. So mm. it, I I know that it's it's theoretically possible, but at the same time, it's um, what what's the delivery method? How long is it lasting? Um, mm. And whether or not that's actually being balanced out. Um, with CBD to actually act as that modulator yeah. uh, to try and re reduce any risk there. I mean, it wouldn't be an issue for Andrew who's got Delta waves even when he's awake. So it's not really... <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just need my vaporizer, some THC flower, um, and hopefully a Nintendo Wii so that I can play some Mario Kart as well. <laughs> but um, oh, yeah. remembers it well. Um, I was going to ask just one thought that occurred to me as well i don't know if we've touched on the podcast just the kinds of thought like delivery formats for clinical consultations and what attracts the medicare rebate are you able to maybe just talk us through that because i know there's yeah we are moving into telehealth and and virtual consults but how does Especially it actually lock down victoria um yes we're coming to you live from uh, the gated community of victoria <laughs> but, um but yeah, if you can run us through that, that'd be great. Yeah, um, I, I think that the, the telehealth initiative, um, you know, previously and, and last year, it, it was wonderful. It certainly did get us through uh, tough times, both from, from a GP perspective where uh, we weren't given the proper um, PPE. We, we were unsure um, how to, to take swabs and, and to expose ourselves unnecessarily. Um, so it really was a fantastic lifeline. Um, one of the things that a lot of people forget is that the second that we are claiming through Medicare, we have to explain ourselves to a much, much higher standard than um, usual typical consults or, or entirely private consults. And that's mainly, it's, it's because of how they have set up their... Um, what's required and, and their own sort of internal justification. Sometimes it makes sense. Other times it's, you know, for a skin excision, do we really need to 
um, take all of their vital signs every single time. Well, I mean, they walked in and they were talking to us. They're, they're pretty conscious, so I think that it'll be safe. Yeah. Um, with, with telehealth in particular, there's the, the RACGP, at least, were, were feeling a bit undercut by some of these um, instant clinics that were popping up. And there's a, a fairly good reason for that, where we want to make sure that if, if um, patients want care, that they're getting it from uh, somebody who knows them or somebody who knows their history that really can't be um, communicated effectively in a five minute phone call. Yeah. Um, and, and so there, there are these restrictions where, um, yes, you can claim the telehealth um, item numbers through Medicare at, at least um, temporarily now in the right circumstances, if you have a previous relationship or if, uh, for example, with the lockdown, it's, you know, you're not able to get out of the house. So a, a phone call um, may, may be all that, all that you can do. So um, it, it was interesting where when it all actually started, um, I had um, an English colleague who was, was shrugging saying, I mean, it's a, a norm over in the UK and it can you know, save a GP's day instead of doing a house visit or doing all these extra things, it, it really is a matter of convenience. So in what um, form they, they continue it, yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to see. And I, I'm guessing things like we're not at a stage where you can do say text-based consults or anything in sort of like a live chat, any, any of that sort of format, do you see any of that popping up at all? I, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about being catfished by a patient. <laughs> uh, well, the, the thing is, that it'd always be, at least it's all in writing. As, as a lawyer here, I, I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> uh, ASL, question mark? Yeah. Um, no, it's, and that's, I, I think that it, it does, again, speak to a broader point about um, certainly safety and even with telehealth and, and I do conduct um, video-based consults uh, online, um, it, it's not always the, uh, the safest option. And um, even um, APRA, the, the health regulator, they've actually come out and said um, they released a, a telehealth um, guidance document all the way back in, I think about 2012 or something, like really a long time ago, you know, can, all things considered. Uh, but their first point was, is this appropriate? And so, you know, I, I've, I've had phone calls of, oh, I've got a rash. That's not appropriate. I, I can't assess it. So it's, yeah. um, in some cases, it's, it's convenient. And um, cannabis, it, it certainly is convenient for most of the presentations. Uh, but it's, it's not without its own drawbacks as well, for sure. I guess that might be one of the reasons it does lend itself to some of the more I guess what they consider subjective conditions such as pain or anxiety. It's, I mean, it's not subjective to the person suffering, but if you, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Mental health is a huge one. And um, that's why I actually prefer um, video like online stuff as well, even for mental health, because, you know, it's convenient. I've got patients sitting in their bed, you know, still wearing their PJs. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's face to face, and they can actually see me, and I feel as though I'm connecting with them. So for that, it's it's a huge bonus. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And is it likely then that I know they've got these temporary um, Medicare item numbers for telehealth, but 
you know, it's a bit bit of guesswork to know whether or not that's here to stay. They might go back to saying, all right, patient X, you know, if you want the Medicare rebate, you have to do an in-person consult. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's um, like any sort of Medicare item number, it, it'll be lots of back and forth between the government, between the RACGP and, you know, relevant stakeholders as always. So uh, I think it will get done, but probably not until the 11th hour. Yeah, as, as always with uh, government policy. <laughs> Uh, well, I've exhausted my list. I know that the moment I get off this uh, this call, I'll have another five questions just flood in. But Mitch, did you have anything else for Dr. Joel before we wrap up? Well, you already know what I'm going to ask. Maybe I'm going to let you do it this week. Fin the final thought question. Final thought of the day. Um, Mitch is always asking guests on this podcast the don't worry, I'm, I'm a size nine, if, if you're wondering. Oh, no, I don't even have to ask anyone. Well, that's it, done. We've got you two. What about twos? <laughs> <laughs> um, the question, the question I guess, sorry, I, is, I, I was asking. Well, it's if and when. Okay, yeah, yeah. if cannabis, well, I think it's a when, but um, if medical cannabis, well, sorry, if cannabis rather becomes... <laughs> becomes recreational when might that happen we, we do ask you to give us a year prediction um if you wouldn't mind yeah okay uh so as in uh like a, an american model uh, uh like an alcohol model well let's or... not use american model because it's still not actually legal there technically yeah that's true that's true um like a more canadian model maybe oh some, some people choose to split it up between CBD and THC. Some people just say full rec. Sorry? Split it up. Sorry. Yes, split it up. Look, I, I would say um, hmm, that's, it's a great question. I would probably say 2028. I, okay. Yeah, I like you thinking that. Um, and I, I think it's it's something that uh, obviously we can talk for hours about it. I think that I think that the recreational users are hurting the medicinal users, and I think that there's a good proportion of recreational users that are medicinal without realizing it. But mm. I I always have to go to the lowest common denominator, and it's sad, but it's there are going to be people who will misuse, and it's as yeah. simple as that. So it's for sure. I, for sure. As I there are with alcohol, with yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So I would hope that there's um, that that separation of the medicinal and recreational crowd that at the moment just seem to be smushed together, and I think that's a disservice to both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and when I was, I remember when I was living in America, and and one of the first things I noticed in typical American style, they they like to take things to the extreme, but. The, the products that they were using were no longer, it, it was like a highly concentrated synthesized cannabis product. You're not talking about, you know, a joint or something in the, in the kind of five, 10, 15% kind of ratio, 20 even. You're, you're now talking about, have, have you heard of dabs? Or, yep. Shatter. Yeah, shatter, dabs, um, they, these concentrates that essentially, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% THC, and you're you're using them in a yeah. Uh, what is it, Mitch? Like. Equivalent of doing like you know, 
ABC shots at a bar where you get the absence, the Bacardi one five one. More like methylated spirits. Isopropyl. Like it's 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 actually it's actually pretty intense. Like and, and if you're doing that regularly and chronically, you can see that that's just that's it's like the heroin of, of cannabis, if you will, <laughs> in in a way. And um again, you know, the toxicity or the 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 level at which it could be fatal is still the jury's out, but it doesn't seem like it's a, at any kind of amount that we, we haven't seen it happen. Put it that way. But these guys are really testing that theory over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot it. of uh, yeah, anecdotal research going into this. Uh, <laughs> well, ob- ob- observational. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a shame. It, it really is, and I, I guess like it's you know it, it's people's rights to to sort of do what they want, but. Yeah, it's always that safety, and um, I'm certainly trying to to be that that scientist, that that uh, physician of, um, hey, if it can help, um, if if people want, you know, I mean, maybe more of a vape to wind down rather than specifically a joint, but um, if they do just want it in the same way that they'd have a safe glass of wine, uh, yeah. then hey, the the whole world won't stop either. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I probably, to be honest, prefer to have a little bit too much to uh, vape than have a little bit too much to drink. To be honest, in terms of the way you feel the next day, the way you feel on the night, maybe um, you know, and the and the risk to health. You know, I've never heard of somebody getting their stomach pumped from from THC. Yeah, that's clearly your night wasn't big enough. But um... yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Donuts and crispy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, well on that note um want to thank you so much uh joel for for coming on and, and having a chat to us your insights are just amazing so fantastic as well just to see that you know you've got such a see a long career ahead in in uh, in this space and and to um yeah to see you making such enormous inroads and and all the with all the work you're doing leading the australian chapter of society of, of cannabis clinicians um and and all the work that you do in educating doctors and the public and clinical practice we're just we're big fans and we were delighted when you said you'd come on so it's been a great chat i I feel like we might do this again if um if everyone's in for for another one um but uh as you get put him on the spot right at the end to make sure always uh no look (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, guys. I mean, you're, you're far, far too kind. And look, I, I love the work that you're doing and, and getting the word out. And um, certainly um, ha- having that, yeah, sense of community and, and sharing of, of ideas, there's uh, there's no harm that can come from it. So awesome. Thanks again. And, and it's been it's been great. A pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll, uh, we'll speak again soon. Take care. No doubt. <laughs>